episode 110, a miracle that we are here at this point, of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a much smarter millennial try to produce a podcast. Um, what we do here, actually, is we share the strength-based perspective through which we view the world, but what we've been doing for the last 30 minutes is trying to figure out Allison's technology, which makes me feel okay, Boomer, um, very much today. <laughs> I think the verdict is out. I need a new MacBook. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. <laughs> In conclusion. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. There, there is a lot of mystic, weird energy in the world right now. Okay. There... I don't know, listeners, if you've experienced this, but I've experienced some pretty weird stuff lately. Mm-hmm. And like earlier, my microphone was giving me a struggle, but also my front door just magically opened without assistance. So and, Okay, so, okay, listeners, <laughs> let me just say, we were in the green room and this happened, and you can't just say, like, my mic wasn't working and then my door opened. Literally, you dropped off of all communication and texted me, WTF, my computer shut down and my door just opened. And so as soon as we regain contact, I am like, please send me a code word if you are in physical harm because people's doors don't just randomly open. So I assumed that you had an intruder or you were being hurt and you were... (laughs) Like your great world self, not clear right away. Right. <laughs> in your communication. My high communication just says. I was like. The mystics like, have opened the door. And I was like, okay, like. Bloop. And I was trying to like, if you are being held hostage or something, but they want you to go yeah. back to your normal situation, please tell me what the weather is like in Colorado. So it doesn't we seem like know. you were telling me. We all know that anyone who would try to take me hostage or kidnap me would return me quickly. <laughs> They would say, enough with your questions. I can't take it anymore. Let's take her back. Um, And I think, you know, we talked about this. This is going to be the core of what we chat about today, which is assumptions. So Mm -hmm. when a door magically opens, Tess assumes doom. Allison assumes (laughs) mystic. I assume a magical angel. Um, And I assume a criminal who is intent on inflicting harm upon you. (laughs) Yes, you're right. This is probably a really good way to open up a conversation around assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. We we do talk a lot about a a variety of topics on Jen and Millie. I just spoke to a group of teachers yesterday in Iowa and mentioned this podcast because we talk a lot about generational differences. Mm -hmm. And we've done it, I think, in a lot of ways for fun and funny in the past, like, you know, when I would, you know, mention Roscoe P. Coltrane or did I ever tell you about WKRP and in Cincinnati Mm-mm. and Johnny Fever? No, I don't think I sh- so. You should look up the episodes of WKRP. Okay. There's, it's a total vibe, but one that I believe my son who is 23 mm-hmm. and in a different generation from you and I has music appreciation towards. So Sean mm-hmm. sends me like Boz Skag songs. And like yacht rock, and I told him recently you should be on WKRP, and he he gave this whole analogy. It was great. I can't read it on the air because it involves. It's funny, <laughs> um, but you know we have done this a lot of times in fun, 
in a lighthearted, I don't understand you, you don't understand me, yeah. Allison can't run technology, because of course she doesn't know how, um, and of course Tess doesn't know the musical references that I make. We've talked about it in, I don't want to say jest, but in light. Yeah. And I think one of the things we wanted to dig a little bit deeper on was how really harmful assumptions can be. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially um, when we think about the world as we know it now mm -hmm. and the world as you know it now from yeah. a different generational perspective, mm -hmm. are we really lending grace towards that unique lens? Yeah. We talk about strengths here a lot, you know, one in 33 million unique, mm -hmm. but we also have this giant gap when it comes to generational experiences. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, it harkens back to, we had a episode forever ago about literally naming assumptions we had about the other generation. And a lot of ways I feel this is a little bit of like a, like a part two or a, an update in it, a dig deeper, a follow-up episode. Um, but it really was sparked because I was having a conversation with someone the other day about, um, like cost of living and buying a house and like, and I'm just like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a position to own property. Um, and that's just the reality of like the choices I've made, but also the choices that were presented or the choice that was presented to me, right. Specifically like name of the student loans. And, um, and it like led into this really great conversation about how there is a not just older than the millennial generation, but overall a societal generation that out the outcomes of life are like consistent, right? And mm -hmm. and and I don't want to say it in like a way of like, oh, it's like this norm that you settle down and you have a family and you buy a house, but like you know, because I feel like that's shifting and especially the generation after millennials, um, Gen Z, I feel like is really kind of pushing those boundaries of what, you know, things look like. But I feel like part of the assumptions that are made about millennials are like, is, is really rooted in like the fact that we are the generation right after those sorts of outcomes becoming very accessible right? Mm -hmm. Like to everybody, like homeownership and, you know, higher education and like white collar positions, right? Where like labor became intellectual and thought-based rather than physical, uh, manual, industrial, um, like the shifting of the economy, the shifting of the workplace, the shifting of the family as a result. And, and this the conversation I was having with this friend basically kind of resulted in like we're at this really and not to like make millennials a thing which I feel like is just what people do but in a lot of ways because we were coming of age or young people at the turn of the millennium right like where we got our generational name from um because of that like we have lived and people joke about COVID being an unprecedented time but we've lived mm -hmm. almost our entire lives in unprecedented times and that the kind of escalation that society has seen in so many levels economically politically uh globally the expansion of technology things like that have led i feel like this expectation for millennials to like adhere to the same outcomes or be able to achieve the same outcomes right 
without the conditions to do so, the ability to do so. And we really talked about it starting with September 11th, the attack on September 11th, and which most of us were in elementary school. I was in second grade at the time. And um, with that, then moving to a major economic crisis and global economic crash, 2008, 2009, we can talk about the rapid transformation of technology, the adultification of our generation because of access to all people and all information at all times, um, all the way to, you know, more recently where we're in adulthood, you know, but we are saddled with student loan debt because we were told that higher education is the way to success. Um, we can talk about the fact that a global pandemic, right, which affected everybody, but affected millennials as early career individuals, um, right. especially, right? And to be furloughed or laid off when you're in your first job, trying to like pay back loans and establish yourself and start to build wealth. Um, we can talk about then like the threat to democracy in our government with an attempted coup and with voter disenfranchisement. We can talk about the repeal of our basic human liberty liberties with the repeal of Roe, the repeal of affirmative action, some of these things that have been happening re- happening recently. And I mean, I could add so many more things to that, but it just really was like a, such an interesting conversation because I feel like what is really unique about the millennial generation is this expectation for success and especially like the middle class Uh, millennials right millennials that grew up in middle class america of like this expectation to your parents sacrifice so you could you know be lifted up higher than they are and this is one of the first we're one of the first generations as millennials to not earn as much as our parents to not have as much wealth as our parents to not see the kind of outcomes that they have and i think a lot of that's put on like the characteristics of the generation and not enough is put on the contextual factors that have led to this reality, right? Um, that have prevented millennials from achieving these things. And it's not because millennials don't necessarily want it, right? And some might individuals, but collectively it's because it's always been out of our reach. So we've had to shift our expectations of what success looks like or a life well lived looks like in a lot of ways. And I feel like it's really rude. Like this picture of millennials is really rooted in, uh, in assumptions. Right. Right. And I, as I mentioned in the green room, there's not a single area label group Mm -hmm. person that doesn't have the experience of assumptions. Mm -hmm. And I think, remarkably or not, you know, the way the mystic world works. All of my client calls this week, um, I'm one month into the solo artistry and very, very busy. All of my client calls this week have been kind of around that Mm -hmm. and the assumptions that they feel are put on to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Should I stay in this job that the status indicates that I should Mm -hmm. be lucky to have it, but I don't love it? Should I stay in this industry um, that has, you know, not necessarily aligned in my values in the last Mm -hmm. five years? What would people think if I left? And, you know, I have fired back quite a bit, um, as I do. That's part of my job as as a guide. I have plenty of assumptions being made about me 
currently. Yeah. My departure, um, which was recently announced when I was introduced, um, about to present to a school staff, I was introduced as Allison, who recently retired from teammates. Yeah, that was a neat phrase to hear out loud. And I was like, and I just viscerally reacted. Like my body was like, what? How could you not? (laughs) And I said, I'm 48, you know, heads up. I didn't retire. Yep. Um, But, you know. Yeah. So a lot of the assumptions that are made come from uh, other people's opinions. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. guided a client today that other people's opinions are none of your business. Mm. That's really, really easy to say. It is, but really it is a hell of practice. practice. It is a yeah. hell of practice. And I think this journey as a solo artist, just one month in, and then also having gone through single life a bit, um, there's definitely... I'm getting better at the practice because what I see happening is the loudest opinions and the loudest assumptions people are making are coming from people who are not exactly in a place of happiness. Mm. And I'm like, hmm, just going to get curious about a little bit of data. You know, I'm going to jot down in my little card catalog of information up here, but it sounds to me like the people in their life who've been most critical of me or judgy of me are the least content. Hmm. And that fact helps me think about the place I come to when I get into assumptions. Um, I love watching my children love amazing people. There is pressure and there are questions asked of them and me all the time. When are they getting married? Geez, they've been together since eighth grade. When are they getting married? And Sean's like, I could give a less about what anybody else thinks. And Mm. I'm kind of struck by the empowerment of his generation to say, I'm going to do it my own way. But I want to go back to what you were talking about with um, the, the massive experiences that you have gone through in your generation that were, that have just been part of your normal. Yeah. So I look back and think of technology first. That's the one that occurs to me most because I'm this lucky person who didn't have it. And then I did Mm -hmm. as an adult. So I have both the both and. Yeah. And Sean reminds me that he knew nothing other than the existence yeah. of somebody potentially having a video, a recording of anything that he might do. It has made him more cognizant yeah. of his actions. And we'll when we sit around, all of us girls, telling stories about parties in high school, mm. Sean's like, what were you doing? That could have gotten you into a lot of trouble. So the, yeah. But he also has a sense of risk that I don't when it comes to choosing life, choosing business, yeah. choosing career, choosing that kind of thing. And so assumptions, one way or the other, make asses of you and me, as we know. Um, but I, I also just get really curious about where they're coming from. Yeah. 
And what's the difference between an assumption and um, wonder? I think it's in the questions that we ask or we don't. Mm -hmm. If I want to get curious and know you better, I'll ask. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I, I wonder how many workplaces are doing that. I wonder how many yeah. families are doing that, friends are doing that, yeah. institutions are doing that. Um, I love to ask people in, all, in the best of all worlds, how do you want to be recognized for the good work that you do? Mm-hmm. How do you motivate others? Mm-hmm. How do you get things done? Because it's so unique. How do you build relationships? Mm-hmm. It's very unique in the way that we show up. And I think that helps me stay out of assumption land Mm. i think so i think that's it's a really impactful distinction that you made and i'm sure it's not as black and white as i'm making it in my mind right now but the difference between assumption and wonder being placed in the willingness to ask questions and the willingness to be corrected right that i feel like a lot of wonder is Mm. can very very easily turn into assumption Right. I don't think it starts as assumptions, right, necessarily. I mean, perhaps for some people, right? But I think it's a curiosity, a wonder, the way that I've described it with my individualization as a hypothesis about someone, right? And in order to ensure that stays out of assumption land, right, is to ask the question. And in even asking the kinds of questions that you're asking, you're willing to be, to have the wonder corrected or the hypothesis, right? Which is a statement of what you think is reality, right? A willingness to have that corrected. And I think that perhaps while we are talking about this and talking about it at a like deeper and more serious level than we have before instead of the joking like millennials only eat avocado toast right I remember that's one of the things that we that we said like on our last discussion Mm -hmm. of assumptions and and maybe why why we're digging a little deeper is because I feel like people are less and less willing to ask those questions so the wonder about others is more rapidly turning into assumption rather than wonder that leads to bridging the gap of the unknown and correcting what could turn into an assumption course correcting right so help me if why i do this so i'm trying to do this for our listeners how would you want to be asked i mean how would you want to be approached and asked about do you mean like by a random person on the street I mean, like, you know, most of the time random people aren't, I mean, unless you're me, random people aren't going to do that. But, like, how would you want to be asked from someone who you care about? Yeah. Who's making mm-hmm. those assumptions unfairly? Yeah. And care about, I'm going to use, you know, loosely as a term. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it a professor? Is it a boss? Is it a leader? Is it a friend? Is it a yeah. family member? Okay. That's a good question. Excuse me. Um... And gosh, I think, I don't know. I think if they've gotten to the point of assumption, right? If you say, like, how would you want them to ask about a negative assumption they have of you? If they've gotten to the point of assumption, I don't know if I want them to ask. Well, we can't course correct. (laughs) I know. We can't course correct if we put all the, if we assume all the assumers over here are not going to. Yeah. 
to okay. be willing to... Maybe that's the pessimistic. I don't have high positivity. We know that. Maybe that's the pessimist in me. <laughs> that's like, if you already think that, like, you know. But, but the learner in you. The, yeah. the learner in the you. The learner in the individualization, you know you're right, is curious. And I think this is a really interesting question that I have to think on a bit of, like, how do you best... Because I think my mind immediately goes to, like, there's a very, very targeted strategy that is employed by people who adhere to conspiracy theory to like intentionally twist truth um, or to push back against specifically the lived experiences of people of color. And you can do, and scholars have done content analysis on social media of this, like looking at people's comments when someone posts about if they've gone through a traumatic event or they're reacting to yet another black person being killed by the police on social media, right? Like there are like we can joke about it trolls but there are literally people who seek out those kinds of posts and say help me understand right like this is what you're saying but this doesn't match up with this or what about these people or like and it's intentionally targeted to twist people's words and shift the narrative away from something vulnerable that they're trying to express and weaponize it And I think that's where I'm like, because my natural response would be like, I'm curious, right? And I know that's like a different example, but like even something like help me understand from somebody. And and I think, and I think for me, maybe it's like the trust and rapport that I've built with someone is necessary before I'm broached with that kind of statement. Do you feel like the people that you've built trust with still make assumptions? See, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do, right? But probably less so. Like, I mean, we logged on today and I was like, I'm in a bit of a rough spot and just having like a hard time lately. And I was like, but I know I can share that with you because I know that you know me. You know, like you're not going to mm-hmm. assume I'm coming to this and like, you know, and not giving it as much attention or not being present with you or whatever it might be, right? When I'm, you know not feeling the best right but I can say I'm not feeling the best in you and I can know that because we've built that rapport that you'll just like meet me right here you know yeah so I don't know I think that's such a hard you the sociologist in me yeah and the high positivity in me wants to say okay well the answer here is we need to have deeper connections Mm. across generations sure across all kinds of groups. We need to have deeper connections. But what I find is there's less willingness to do that mm-hmm. than ever. Yeah. And yeah. it pains me. It pains me. So yeah. I, again, you know, take a, a broader 360 view on this. The assumptions that people are making about me right now are, are painful at times. It's like, you know, pushing the limits of you just want to be this badass, independent, blah, blah, blah. It stings. At times. I think the intention, and these are for people who I care about and care about me, I think. I think the intention is to praise me. But what it makes me feel like is more ostracized yeah. for being a single mid-40s, twice-divorced female who's doing her first go at her own business. Yeah. It's a backhanded compliment. Yes. And so then I, I pull back and then they pull back more. Mm. And so there's no, there's no mending. There's no, Mm. um, reparation. 
Yeah. It just becomes even more assume land. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I dearly love my friend Katie. I don't know that I can say that enough. I probably say it on every episode, but I do. Mm-hmm. She just stretches me so much. And, you know, she encourages me to get brave and have the conversations too. Yeah. So to someone who makes yeah. assumptions about me, mm-hmm. why I don't say, can we talk about this? Yeah. I, I'd really like to explore why you think that about me or what that, what that, what is yeah. that about? Because what I do is I go into the, my own assumption, which is they're not a happy person. They're not content with their life. So they're going to project mm. onto me. Which also might not be accurate, right? That's, Correct. you know, they might like have this view. And like, I grew up in like a, you know, a, a household where like hard work, showing up for your job, like having the same job at the same place forever was like so prized, right? So like somebody that's doing the kind of work that you're doing would be like, like they just might literally not understand it because conceptually they have never met or interacted Mm -hmm. or, you know, like, or never grew up knowing that that was a possibility, right? To, you know, for that. And that's what like, so I'm like, the more I think about it too, what, what you said, I wanted to ask a little bit about, right? You said like, they make this statement or this assumption, or they ask these questions and it makes you lean back and then they lean back. And so I guess it's along the lines of what Katie said of like, what would it look like for you to lean in instead? Right. What would it look like for you to say, like, tell me where, like where that's coming from or, you know, like, you know what do you mean by that? Or what, what makes you think that? Or, you know, something like that. But then I'm also like, those questions can also be really defensive too. And that's where this is such a predicament where, especially when it's some, if it's someone you don't have that kind of rapport with to have that conversation and have a track record of repairing well, that, that could lead to a dicey situation, but also not ever repairing means that you're never going to get to the point of repairing it. Right. If you both always lean back. Or the relationship will stay stuck and not grow. Yeah. yeah. So my response mm. was, this is how this person is. Mm. I love them. I'm just going to accept this because this has been going on forever mm. and it will continue to go on yeah. forever. Okay. And I don't get dicey about it. It has almost a martyry move. Like mm. I'll just be the sacrificial lamb here yeah. that can take it and don't get pissed about it but then it continues and actually deep down I am pissed about it Mm. and I'm sick of it I want to go back to the defensiveness piece so we have (laughs) I have an aunt who like it does not matter what you say okay it does not matter what you say like Mm. tell me my eyes are blue okay yeah your eyes are blue Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that yeah what's that supposed to mean and she will literally be inches from your face. Oh my gosh, no! And Mm-mm. about Mm-mm. everything. Mm-mm. And my my kids can do the absolute most impeccable impression of it. But just very, what's that supposed to mean? Hmm. And you can tell it, it's about a two second realization that she's coming towards you to say, "What did you mean by that?" And so we've learned to say nothing. Hmm. So I can't even give a compliment when I want to give a compliment. I can't even give praise when I want to give praise because it's going to end up there's such a defensiveness and so all of this there's not 
I imagine there's not a person who's listening that doesn't have an aunt or someone in their life like my aunt. There isn't a person listening that doesn't have someone in their life making assumptions about them. There isn't a person in listening that doesn't have someone that they think, oh, well, this relationship's just going to stay on repeat, stuck, because we can't grow. And there's not a person listening who hasn't made an unfair assumption. Yeah. So I think I go back to, like, what is within our control, right? I think about agency all the time. When I work with clients and we talk about, here's all the situations going on, like, what do you actually have the power to do something about? Mm -hmm. And it's within my choice to lean in. It's in my choice to check my assumptions. Yeah. And I, I mentioned to you that I'm reading a great book, a novel called The Measure. And it's, a, it's fiction, but it's based on if the world suddenly received a thread that indicates how long your life is. And very quickly you get into each of these characters, but you realize their uniqueness. Mm-hmm. You realize their, their lens on the world. You realize there are unique values and they, what they prioritize and what's important to them. I don't get to judge that. So... I love that you have chosen higher ed as, and continuing to be a teacher and a learner for life Mm -hmm. because that is where your values align. I would love you just the same if your values aligned with raising puppies. I, I would love you just the same if your values aligned with, I really want a white house with a picket fence and that's really important to me. I'd be stunned. But I would love you just the same, (laughs) right? Because I don't get to decide what your priorities are. And Mm -hmm. we talked about Dave Shapiro a thousand times. How you spend your time, how you spend your money is a direct reflection of your priorities. But I I think that's, that's quite a statement and not a statement, not his statement. His statement is quite a statement. Yes. But your statement before that, I don't get to decide your priorities. Because I think a lot of assumptions, especially about what someone ought to be doing or judgment on what they are doing, like the case of this person who was like, I don't understand what you're doing, being Mm -hmm. a consultant, right? Like is them putting different priorities on you than are actually your priorities. Right. You know, like them assuming you should be looking for this or this outcome or you should be moving towards this goal, right? Because that may be their priorities or what was taught to them, right? When it's not actually the case for you. Correct. And then I think of groups of people and how we do this. I've learned so much in parenting these two amazing humans who have taught me it is really none of my business what they choose to do the bananas, you know, I really, I would love for Lauren to like bananas. It's always been my life goal for her to just like the damn bananas because it would make my life easier. Her choices aren't about making my life easier. Mm-hmm. When, you know, when she was thinking about school and even when she was younger, I wanted her desperately to play violin. I mean, I tried everything under the sun to coerce, just <laughs> be a strings player. Ooh. Because it was something I wanted. We all do this, right? Yeah. But I learned through them because they have powerful souls and a lot of 
a lot of agency, they say, yeah, it's not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. So I know you love me no matter what. What does that actually look like? Because mm-hmm. I don't want to play the violin. Yeah. I'm not going to eat the damn bananas, mm-hmm. Mom, still. Like, I like banana mm-hmm. pudding, but I don't like bananas, which is the... <laughs> um, excuse you? What did you just say about not judging people? Right. Their own priorities. Right. Sorry. Right. Of course, correct. Right. right. <laughs> so, okay, but the difference of what you're talking about yeah. is, like, you have had societal, cultural, Mm -hmm. significant events outside of your control that have further influenced the ability or inability to make the choices that you do. And then those of us who didn't live that way are over here judging about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%, right? Like, agency only is agency within the parameters that you're given. And... There's a reason that there are massive differences between generations because we're starting at different starting points. Mm-hmm. Our parameters are much different. Mm-hmm. And so therefore our choices, right? Like look very, very different as to what's within our control. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, you know, everybody has those parameters. Generations are one that I don't think we acknowledge enough when we look at people's life choices and life chances because we move like within cohorts when we talk about demography, right? Uh, but it, it manifests at all levels, right? Like we can talk about generational and intergenerational levels of agency and then the assumptions that come with that if you don't fit into that group, right? We can talk about it demographically based on race, based on gender, right? Based on sexuality and so mm-hmm. on. Uh, we can talk about it, but though also at the interpersonal and the individual level too, which are like what some of your examples are, which are really good. And I think it, it shows that assumptions like permeate all levels, right? Of our lives. Um, they're built in to our systems in so many ways. Right. Um, and then they like manifest with this, with two people talking about a life change that one person has, right? Or like, I cannot believe you did not tell me that about the retirement comment that she recently oh, retired from teammates. I'm like, that is like your absolute worst nightmare. <laughs> I'm like, I, and, and the, the audience kind of looked at me like, wow, she's aged well. I mean, it was like one of those moments where it's like the double edged sword of, oh, they think I'm. They think I look good for my age, and oh my God, they think I'm retirement age. But yeah, they think my age is 65. Right. So, so then mm-hmm. no one can find the right word. Yeah. So the word that was used was transitioned. She's mm-hmm. she's transitioned into, and, and I was like, okay, so I don't, you know me, I'm going to get really word nerd over mm-hmm. here, is going to find the right word, because departure landed well. Yeah. That landed well. The goodbye is as important as the hello was a phrase that landed well. I wrapped up today with a, a client that I've had, brilliant scientist. Um, I've worked with him for the last, oh, since March of 22. And today was our last call. His cohort is ending. And he said, I want to read to you. I wrote down Allisonisms in all of our calls. Oh my gosh, stop. This is taking your love language. I was blown away. Mm-hmm at what he read back to me. And they are things that I say all the time. They are things I say all the time. And it just, but it blew my mind that he wrote them down. 
anyway, I, I want to wordsmith around like this solo artist. I like saying, you know, now I'm, I've been with a band for 20 years and now I'm going to go out and yeah. do my solo artist thing, but it doesn't land. Like people are like, yeah. what, she's a what musician. So <laughs> I'm, I'm figuring it out, but I also, this is a risk, yeah. a giant risk that I took that took me from the land of my safe, comfortable pod that I have been in for a long time. Mm -hmm. That pod survived difficult things. Yeah. It was a huge leap and a huge risk. And I think where the judgment comes from is that most of us are deathly afraid of making changes. Yeah. We are deathly afraid of risk. We're deathly afraid of dreaming big and going after it. And I'm still in the question that my kids asked me in January of 2020, if not now, when? Mm. And I don't think I have decades to figure that out. Yeah. Mm. So people, I think that grants me the gift of, you can assume all you want, but I kind of don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. I, I got to do this for me, right? It's, it's not yeah. hopefully hurting anyone. It's, it's hopefully expanding and I'm growing and I'm learning, yeah. but it, it was a risk I knew I had to take. I also knew there would be assumptions about it. Yeah. And I think where you are, I mean, we talked about this too, like you've laid out every time I see the um, visual of a railroad, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The track. I think of you, like, and your ability to, like, your context leads you to plans in the future. Yeah. Your individualization wants to create your own story. Mm -hmm. Your learner wants to keep teaching and learning and be a student of the earth and the world and mm -hmm. the universe. Like, you can see that, and you've been able to see it and speak to it for as long as I've known you. The rest of us kind of struggle to figure out what we're doing. I feel like you have had a very solid awareness of this it will be my path. Mm -hmm. And because you've been able to teach it out more or speak to it more, maybe there's been less last minute judgment and more mm -hmm. group assumption. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah made around what you're doing that puts yeah. you into the millennial. Oh, she's a millennial, she's gonna do that, mm -hmm. of course she is. Yeah. She's a millennial, she's been telling us since she's eight years old she's gonna do this, right? Like. Yeah, but it's it's not it's your unique ability because of your strengths mm -hmm. to tell your story out loud of what what will come yeah yeah that is interesting to think like what I'm sure within each of us is some sort of ranking of what assumptions we feel the most right it's probably <laughs> right like you, there are so many people in my generation that probably don't feel the millennialisms maybe as much as I do because they're also like trying to find their path or trying to, you know, trying yeah. to figure out what to do. And because more of those things are set, like, and there was a time where I didn't, right. Or like wavered from that. And, and I feel like I, I always think about this when I talk with like sociology undergrad students of like, when I decided to major in sociology, my parents were like, what does that even mean? Right. Like, what is that? Because mm -hmm. 
other jobs that I had always thought about or other career paths have always been you study this to become this, you study this to become this, right? Um, and it's much more clear cut, whereas there's a lot of like opaqueness and gray area and mm-hmm. what you can do with a sociology degree. And so, and I feel like a lot of people are in that place and I feel like it's not just for sure millennials, right? But also like, I think about how much technology has shifted the economy, right? We've talked about the shift of economy and I know I mentioned this, but like the jobs that were available to my parents are so different than the jobs that are available to me. Right. And, and my brother and Sean, right? Like there are and so generations many, to come. They're exactly, going to be completely generations to come. Right. And let's like talk about the role of like AI and shifting things too. And I just feel like there's so like the intergenerational judgment and maybe intergenerational assumptions. I shouldn't use the word judgment. Let me correct that is based on your own rightfully so like you see the world from your own perspective and your own experience but if you're entering the job market where software engineers are (laughs) like the most well-paid entry-level job or whatever right like and learning to code is like a fairly common requirement now for a lot of jobs or learning and understanding software development or administration is really common like that's a totally different landscape for your career, right? And that's something that like when we grew up, right? I'm seeing all the first day posts of like, when I grew up, I want to be, and all the statements. I don't think I, I I don't think I ever see statements of I'm going to be a software engineer or, (laughs) you know, I want to be a cloud developer or I want to be right. But that like, that's where the economy is going. That's where the jobs are going, right? Like we're still stuck even in the intergenerational work between parent and child in this like, This is what the future looks like. And that's the hard part about intergenerational work, right? Is especially parent kid is that your kids are growing up in a totally different world than the one that you grew up in. So what success looks like has to shift, right? Right. But think about how we start putting the labels and the assumptions on the kiddos when they go to kindergarten. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you're right. No one's holding up a sign that says, I want to do code. I want to be a software engineer. I plan to work in AI. Nobody is holding that sign. It's teacher, doctor. It's the same stuff that we've been Uh talking about for many generations now. So I, I think a great stretch for our listeners would be really asking them to think about how would you want someone to approach you? about an assumption they have like what would be a way someone could ask but god what a great question it would be Tess, to say what did your kindergarten sign what should it have said first day of school i want to be a because we've asked this question when we talk about ikigai right of like what did you want to be when you grew up and what are like and how does that compare to what you do now right but i really like that right if you could like catapult into the future to see what was available for opportunities to build a career on or build a passion around or even just like have a job that you enjoy right like if you knew the scope of that like what would that look like what would you write oh I could tell you right now it has nothing to do with work mine would say a peaceful contented woman um that's great that's what I want to be when I grow up because I'm still working towards that Okay, that's such a better answer. The one that I thought of immediately was, I want to be a travel and food blogger. 
be able There's to make no, a living based There on. are no assumptions on this <laughs> test. People can create what they want with it. I know. Um, yeah. But I will tell you, when I was 15, I wanted to be a really good mom. Mm. When I was 30, I wanted to have a career. It's ever evolving. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So listeners yeah. tell us, what yeah. would your, I, what I want to be when I grow up. I cannot wait for these answers. I know, and I know. I please beg of you humans, please yes. say, cause we know you're listening. Mm -hmm. So you can text one of us with your response. Mm -hmm. You can add it on Insta. You can email it. Yep. Um, you can take out a billboard if you'd like. Yes. Yes, um, so many options. You, you know the billboard above Zen Coffee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Omaha that has yeah. just the heart? The heart on it, yeah. Yeah. I think that I have now reached the pinnacle of what the ultimate message to me would be mm. is if someone would take out that billboard and say, Allie, I love you. I mean, that I've, I've upped the bar in my expectations. That would be sad because then the billboard with the heart wouldn't be there anymore. They it wouldn't have it to out. be there very long. It okay. just, then it goes back to the then heart. Then it goes back to the heart. Okay. But every time I see that, I think, yeah. oh, you know, billboards would be such an easy way to tell somebody you love them. And that's what the heart represents to me. I'm like, everybody who sees that, I hope they feel loved. That's I hope so they feel sweet. loved. <laughs> I do. Gosh, I love that. Okay. If someone has an assumption about you, how would you want them to approach you to ask questions, to like, to correct that? Um, and then... What would your chalkboard I want to be when you grew up? Uh, what should your response or what? Oh my gosh, how do I phrase that as a question? Um, if you were to write a chalkboard of what I want to be when I grew up now. Today. Today. today what should it have been? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Those are great, great thoughts. Look at that. Of course. We're always like, is this enough to have a conversation around? Always. <laughs> you and I. Always enough. It is. It oh my is. gosh. That was so lovely and thank you all for joining uh and tuning in to episode 110 of jen and millie if you enjoyed today's conversation consider sharing this episode with a friend to interact with us and share your responses to the questions we posed please let us know you can do it in a multitude of ways like ali just listed text us email us uh you know commission a billboard, whatever you want to do. Um, but one of the best ways that we check frequently is Instagram. Uh, we are at Jenna Millie at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. Until next time.